0: Good morning everyone. It's spring break in Wisconsin Rapids, so that's a positive sign that we might see summer. So happy about that. Some of you have made it a point to come up to me this morning and ask me how my time in prison was. And though it could be worded a little differently, for you visitors I'll explain. Um, Last Sunday evening I was invited to speak at the worship services for the new Lesbian Correctional Facility and uh, it went really, really well. Uh, It was uh, received well, and so I appreciate uh, all your prayers. In fact, they asked me to come back, and they also talked about how are we as a church going to, uh, they would love to see us partner more with them in bringing the gospel message there. And so I don't know what that looks like yet. We're in the beginnings of talks, but it's exciting to see what God's doing. So thank you so much for your prayers about that. In 1992 there was a cargo ship that left Hong Kong for the United States, and it was full of uh, a ton of little plastic toys. And just as it pulled out of port in Hong Kong, a huge storm came, and it uh, moved the ship up and down, and four containers fell overboard, releasing 28,000 little plastic toys. They went all over the world as they went out through the ocean. So some ended up in Australia, some were in Singapore. A few lucky ducks ended up in Hawaii. That was a joke. (laughs) You're on spring break, I can see already. It's going to be a tough morning. And they dispersed across the ocean, except the majority of the 28,000 formed this huge debris field that sits just south of alaska in what's called the northern gyre current and because of this current it's it's created this garbage pile about the size of the state of texas And every now and then 25 years later, a little rubber ducky will end up on the coast of Alaska or a little small toy will end up somewhere. But the only way it leaves this current because of the way that the churning of the water is going and the way the pull of the current is going, the only way any toy gets out of that is if something from outside sets it free. Like if there's a storm or if there's a boat that goes through there, or if there's marine life that knocks it out. It's the only way something is set free. Spiritually speaking, we are a lot like that garbage debris field. The only way we get set free from our sin, the only way we get set free from our sinful nature and the guilt and the remorse and the things that we that hold us back, the only way we can get set free from that is if there's something from the outside that comes in. We cannot set ourselves free. We need someone from the outside and that someone is Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be set free. That's the amazing gospel. And this amazing gospel was a message that grabbed the Apostle Paul's heart. And he said it was worth defending because it changed his life and it changed the lives of many. Some of the people whose lives it changed were a group of people in an area called Galatia. And Paul went there and he taught this amazing gospel. And it changed their lives, it changed their hearts. Amazing things were happening. And then this group of people called the Judaizers came, and they started saying what Paul said wasn't exactly true, and they were trying to rob the freedom that these people had and bring them back into bondage. And when the apostle Paul heard this, he was astonished, and he said, I have to write a letter to this church, to these people, telling, him, telling them that that's not the case That letter is in our Bible and it's called the book of Galatians and we're going to look at that today. Today we are going to be uh, diving into our new series uh, called Free and in this series we're going to study the book of Galatians and we're going to see this amazing gospel and why it is so critically important that we... Keep it and defend it and protect it and live it out in our lives. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to the book of Galatians. We're going to be focusing on chapter 2 this morning. If you're new to the Bible, just keep going to the right. It's kind of towards the back. You'll go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You'll see First and Second Corinthians. Keep going. Then you'll hit Galatians. I'll be on page 1031 in the Bible we provide here in the worship center. But in this, we're gonna, this section, we're going to see two big claims. But I want to start with this question Why is the gospel such a big deal? Why is the gospel such a big deal? It's critically important we think through this because we're going to answer this with two big claims. One is that the gospel's from God. The gospel is from God. It's a gift from God to us. And the second thing is that the gospel changes the world. It changes the world. So I want to dive in and look at this first one. The gospel is from God. And we're going to focus on the first five verses of chapter 2. Look at Galatians 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus also. Now we have to stop there and kind of back up because two, chapter 2 kind of starts in the middle of a conversation. And if you're not in the context of the conversation, you'll have no idea what, that is, what he's talking about here. We need to understand that the Judaizers, the people who are trying to pull the people from Galatia away from this true gospel and enslave them, they were saying that Paul didn't get this gospel from God. It's not a true gospel. He got it from somebody else. He talked to another person. That's how he got this gospel. It's not the true thing. If he talked to the right people, he would have got it right, but he got it wrong, and they were making this case. And so Paul is countering that, by making another case, and he starts that counter back in chapter 1. So if you flip back to starting at verse 16 of chapter 1, Paul says that God revealed, in verse 16, revealed his son in me so that I'd preach among the Gentiles. When that happened, he said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I didn't talk to anyone. Then he continues, I did not go up to Jerusalem where the apostles are. See, that's important. Before Jesus Christ came to earth, the way you connected and related with God was through the nation of Israel and Jewish custom and Jewish uh, law and fulfilling outward Jewish obligations. That's how you developed your relationship with God. That's how we see in the Old Testament. It It was through the Jewish context that Jesus Christ came. But when Jesus Christ came, he came to start a whole new deal called Christianity. And though Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, he fulfilled those laws. He was starting something new. And so now he went to the cross, he died, he rose again. But people are confused. They're like, do we follow Jewish things or do we jump off and and go into this Jesus thing? And if we go into this Jesus thing, what does that mean? What does that look like? And so Paul was explaining the gospel. And so there was a hub of the Christianity at the time in Jerusalem where the apostles were. And that was like the mothership of Christianity at the day. And so, Jerusalem was the place where all the clarifications would come on how to live this new life. And so, Paul says here, when he first encountered Christ, he did not go up to Jerusalem. In fact, it says, if you continue in verse 17, he went back to Arabia and came to Damascus. He went out to the desert. How long was he there? Verse 18, 8, verse 18, he says, three years. So, God hit him with the gospel. He gave his life to Jesus Christ, and then for three years he went out to the desert and didn't see anybody. Then he says, then after three years I did go to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, Peter, and I stayed with him for just 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, so what he's saying here is he's leading, laying out a timeline. And then if look at, jump to verse 21. And then afterwards, I remained in the regions for Syria uh, of Syria. I went back to the desert is what he's saying. And how long was he back then? That's where we get to our opening verse in chapter 2. 14 years. So what Paul is saying is he's laying out a timeline. He's saying I encountered Jesus Christ, the gospel changed my life, I radically was saved and transformed, then I immediately went out to the desert. I didn't see anybody. You can't say this came from a human being because as soon as it happened I went out to the desert. I was there three years and then after three years I went up to Jerusalem, I had only spent 15 days there and then I went back out to the desert and I was there for 14 years And so he's making this case that this gospel is not from human beings. This gospel is from God himself because he didn't consult with all these other human beings. So that's the case he's making in verse 1. Look at verse 2 to 5. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to make sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. So now he's saying, I'm submitting what I preached to the leaders of the church to make sure that I was doing the right thing. Verse 3, But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some of the false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave ourselves. So he's saying... I went up there after 14 years. I went Now I went back to Jerusalem. I brought with me my friend Barnabas, and I brought with me Titus. Why did I bring Titus? Because Titus' life was transformed by the power of Jesus Christ while I was gone in that 14 years. And I wanted to bring him to the apostles, and I wanted to make sure I'm preaching the right gospel. And he says that, that the apostles affirmed this in two ways. First, there was this private meeting where he lays this all out. He said he did it privately with the leaders, and the apostles said, yes, that's the right gospel. He, they affirmed it. And then second, he uses Titus, and Titus is kind of like this case study. He's kind of like the token Gentile that comes along, and we have to be, wonder what's going on with this whole thing with Titus. The reason he brings up Titus is very crucial. The Judaizers who were trying to distort the gospel, who were trying to pull people into slavery again, out of freedom into Jesus and in bondage to Jewish law, they were saying one of the things you have to do is when you become a Christian, if you're male, you still have to be circumcised. It's the law. You still have to do that. There's not enough freedom. And so they brought Titus with who was a Gentile and they said here he wasn't circumcised, I don't know how they knew that. Maybe, I know there's some assumptions, but I don't know if they do like toga checks going in or what there is, but they said they knew he was not circumcised. And Paul's point is, if the gospel that the Judaizers are saying is true, that you have to do this, they wouldn't have let Titus out of the room without performing that ritual. But they said Titus left uncircumcised, meaning this gospel is not about Jewish law and outward obligation. This gospel is a transferring of something that happens inside the human soul. And just as Titus received this gospel, it radically changed his life and his soul was transformed. He stood before the apostles as a transformed person and they said, yes, being transformed in the power of Jesus Christ, in his grace, through faith, is enough. That Jesus alone is enough. And the fact that Titus walked out of there with the apostles' affirmation shows that what the Judaizers were saying was a lie. It was true what Paul was preaching. The gospel transforms the human heart. We are no longer under this obligation to connect with God through these Jewish laws. A new thing has happened in Jesus Christ. Why is this a big deal? Look at verse 5. But we did not give up and submit to these people even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel could be preserved for you. What he's saying is, we did not submit to this idea of what they're talking about, adding to Jesus Christ, Jewish religion, adding to Jesus Christ, all these things, because we know this gospel is so true. We know this gospel can transform lives, and we want to protect it because it's worth defending because we want you, Galatian church, to be transformed radically by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it was worth defending. It was worth preserving. They didn't let people add to it without pushing back. Otherwise, this group of people in Galatia would have been pulled into bondage. You see, the Judaizers were pushing all these extra things above Jesus Christ and Paul knew that if they start going down that path they're going to leave the glorious freedom of grace and mercy and forgiveness and they're going to get caught up into all these things that ensnare them and add to it. You know we do this a lot as human beings in the church. We like to add things to the gospel we like to add not only is Jesus enough but also you have to behave this way and you can't watch that and you can't eat that and you can't go hang out there and you got to be careful not to talk to that person and, you have to, and we add, 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 add and this message this morning would scream at us, no, do not go into that bondage. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. We even have to be careful that our own preferences, I like that music, I like what that looks like, I like that. And we add to it and think that that has some higher spiritual power just because we connect a little bit. No, we have to keep the gospel the gospel. We can't add to it. People like to add to it. You know why they like to add to it? Sometimes it's just not having the knowledge and understanding. But many times, people like to add to the gospel because they're afraid. It's all because of fear. And they think, you know, and it's a lack of trust in God. It's a lack of trust in Jesus Christ. It's like, it can't be that easy. So I have to add to make sure it's going to be okay, to make sure that person doesn't go, around, uh, go down the wrong path, to make sure. So we've got to add all these barriers to it. And in adding all the barriers, we're putting ourselves in deeper, deeper bondage and Jesus is saying, just be with me. It's all about me and what I did on the cross for you and being in relationship with me. It'll be enough. You don't have to add to all these things out of fear. Just trust me. Just be with me. That's what Jesus is saying. Treadmills have some benefit in our day to, uh, in our lives today, right? They can help us. But unfortunately for people, they look at their spiritual life and they kind of act like a treadmill, they do all this work. They're going and going on, but they're not going anywhere because they try to follow all these rules. And it's like being on this treadmill. And it's, what's interesting is if you think about, do you know where the first treadmill came from? The treadmill was something that was designed in prison. Some of you are saying amen to that, right? It's torturous, painful. They made these treadmills so prisoners would just sit there and, and go as a form of punishment but I see the spiritual correlation to us because sometimes we take all these extra rules, extra regulations, things that we want to add because we're afraid. We want to make sure we're going to be okay as Christians and we add all these things to us and it forms like this bondage where all of a sudden we don't even realize it. But in our spiritual lives, we do all this work and all Jesus is saying is just come to be with me. You don't need to do all that. And we feel like we're not getting anywhere. The gospel is there to set people free from sin. And Jesus Christ dying on the cross is enough to set us free from sin. It's enough to set us free from our guilt. It's enough to set us free from our bondage. It is enough. It's all we need. But even bigger than that, as amazing and wonderful as being forgiven for our sin is, ama- as amazing and wonderful as being brought into peace with God, who's holy and we're sinful, and through the cross of Jesus, he brings, bridges that gap and brings us together, and we're forgiven and we live in the mercy. As amazing as, it is, as that is, the gospel of Jesus Christ does something even better. Well, maybe not better, but it does something else. It makes us whole. The gospel of Jesus Christ is able to heal us and transform our lives and make us whole. Not only does it cleanse us from our sin, it also cleanses us from the power and the effects of our sin. It also cleanses us from the power and the effects that we've picked up as we walk through a life of sin. You see, so many times as human beings... We look at the things that we don't like about ourselves, how we react, maybe our anger, our anxiety, or all these things. But all those things come from a core within us. Maybe a core of pain. Maybe a core of past experience that was horrible. Maybe a, a core of a past hurt or something somebody did to us. And as a normal human reaction, we kind of guard that and we keep that. And when we do that, we don't allow transformation to happen. Because we don't let God or anybody at that spot. We just hold it in. And what the gospel is saying is if you come and you allow Jesus into those places to bring healing, he will transform your life and make you whole. But you have to be willing to face that ugliness, that face that pain and say, God, will you come and will you make me whole? Because that's where transformation comes. You see, that's why this gospel is worth defending and protecting because it's the only thing that will bring about life transformation. The gospel is from God, and it changes us. Number two, the gospel changes the world. It changes the world. Look at verse 6. Now, from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. At first, it sounds like Paul's getting kind of copping an attitude. Like he's getting arrogant, that he's kind of standoffish. He's saying those, he's talking about the other apostles in Jerusalem at the mothership. Those who are up there, he's like, though they mean nothing to me. And you're kind of like, well, what's the deal, Paul? The reason why it sounds like that is these Judaizers were telling people that Paul isn't a real apostle. The real apostles are the guys at the mothership in Jerusalem. Those are the real apostles. Paul's kind of a pseudo-apostle, apostle in training, because those guys were with Jesus. Paul wasn't, which isn't really true because Paul was in, with Jesus. Jesus knocked him off of a horse, blinded him for four days, and he had a conversation with him face to face. If there's anybody who could say they interacted with Jesus, it was the apostle Paul. But the Judaizers were saying Paul was the sub-apostle. So he's saying in here, what he, he's not coming off arrogant. He's just coming off and saying, it's not about a human being. It's about God himself. This gospel's from God, and it's about him, not who, what human uh, decides this message comes out of. Look at verses 7 to 8. On the contrary, they saw I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised or the Gentiles, just as Peter was for the circumcised or the Jewish people. Since one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. What he's saying is this gospel is going global. This gospel is going worldwide. In the craziness of are we Jewish? Are we Christian? What do we do? How do we do? In this crazy world, he's saying Peter is going out to the Jewish people who were Jewish all their lives and telling them Jesus is here and there's a new way Paul is going out to all those people who weren't Jewish who were Gentiles and saying you got to hear about Jesus there's this whole new way the gospel is going out from ethnicity and going global to all over the world and what he's saying is when the apostles saw me they were affirming that just as we're sending out Peter to go to the Jewish world Paul we're sending you out to go to the Gentile world it's just going global and it's all good. That's what they're saying. That's all that verse is saying. It's interesting, as I pointed out last week, that they sent Peter out to the Jewish people and Paul the Gentiles because Paul will say in other letters, when we see that, he was the Jew of Jews. Paul knew the Jewish religion backwards, forwards, inside out. He said, if you ever wanted to see somebody who could do the law perfect, it was me. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He said he was the Jewish person. And yet God sends him to the Gentile. We in our own mind and our human thinking say that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why would God do that? Because God wanted Paul to depend upon him for his ministry. God wanted Paul to depend on him for his life. He didn't want him to rest in what he knew throughout his whole life. He wanted to take him into a, outside of his comfort zone so that he would cling to God and say, God, I need you. He wants us to rely and depend and trust on him, in him. Look at verses nine to ten. When James and Cephas and John, those recognized as pillars or apostles, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellow they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised or the Jewish people. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which we made every effort to do this is saying this gospel is going out globally and the apostles when they heard when he says they gave us the right hand of fellowship he's saying they accepted they affirmed and they acknowledged but if you look at that statement in verse 10 to make sure you take care of the poor it shows that this gospel is not just an intellectual idea written on a piece of paper But this gospel is supposed to infiltrate the very world we live and make a difference. It's supposed to go and transform people's lives. And when we see the poor, we're supposed to do something to help release them from poverty. When we see those stuck in the bondages of sin, we're supposed to proclaim the gospel so they're set free. When we see those who are hurting and broken because of abuse and past things in their life, we're supposed to come and bring this life-changing gospel that Jesus could enter in and heal those places. See, this gospel is supposed to go global, not just geographically. It's supposed to go global in terms of covering every injustice and sin and brokenness that the world can throw at it because it can't be overcome. In fact, it's the only cure. It's the only thing that heals the injustices of our world. And as the church, we're entrusted, just like Paul was entrusted, to carry this cure for the injustices of our life globally to all people so they understand what Jesus Christ did for them to set them free. That's the argument he's making. And see, when you have something that precious, when you have something that amazing, when you have something that glorious, you have to defend it. And if someone tries to bring in a false cure or a placebo or a fake cure, you have to stop that and say, no, 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 no. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ sets people free. It makes a difference. I want to wrap up by looking at how it makes a difference. The gospel goes forward in our world and it makes a difference, but it does so in a crazy way. I want to look at three difference makers the gospel makes. And in these difference makers, you're going to see it's not like we would think or imagine, because the gospel does opposite crazy things. The first difference maker I want to look at is the fact that there's strength and weakness. There's strength and weakness. In our society, in our culture, we always think we have to be strong. Be strong. We see that logo everywhere. Be strong. Paul would say, I was not strong. In fact, the t-shirt I wore said, be weak. Because when Paul received this gospel, he went out to the desert and he got on his face and he said, Jesus, I cannot go forward in the way that I am. I need your help. I need your life in me. And it's when we become weak before God, when we become foolish, when we go and we expose to God our pain and our weakness and those horrible things, that is when we are made strong because it's in that place that God comes and changes our life. Paul had a life verse that he lived out, and it's in Galatians chapter 2. If you look at verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, that's a verse of weakness. He's saying, I've been crucified. I've been made dead. I no longer live. It's not my abilities. It's not my talents. It's not my strengths. I've been crucified. I've been laid dead. I go before God, and I say, God, I need you. I am dead. And when I do that, all of a sudden this amazing thing happens. Then the life of Jesus Christ fills my soul, picks me up, and lets me live. And now when I walk out of here into the world, I walk in the power of Jesus Christ. I walk in His strength, not my strength. And that strength of Jesus Christ is empowered by what? My weakness. The more I acknowledge and embrace my weakness, the more powerful Christ becomes See, that's how we know the gospel is real. Nothing else in the world will ever do that. Although we look and try to find, there's nothing in the world that can do that. So there's strength in weakness. So the question becomes this, do we live lives of weakness so that he can be strong? Do we embrace our weakness? Do we allow Christ into our weakness? Do we live lives of weakness so God can meet us there and be strong? The gospel makes a difference in another way as well. It brings power in humility. There's power in humility. Paul could have went up to Jerusalem with guns blazing in arrogance. He could have said, I'm going to go tell those apostles what I've done the last 14 years in ministry. And I've seen people's lives change. Titus is here. He can prove it. Lives have changed. I'm going to go. I don't care what they say. I don't care if they tell me I'm doing something wrong. I'm going to go up and tell them how it is. And I'm going to do it publicly so everyone knows. No, he requested a private meeting, a private meeting with the elders and the leaders. He was humble, he was gentle. It reminds me of a teaching I heard this week on the radio and this person or on the podcast, this person was talking and they said, you know what? Christians need to understand you have the Bible, you have the truth, but what you need to understand is it's not enough just to be right. It's not enough just to be right. If you want to make an argument in today's world, you have to add to that the virtue of love, the virtue of grace, the virtue of how you approach somebody the virtue of how you treat somebody. And Paul was modeling that here with humility. He went up, and though he saw amazing things, he could have wrote a lot of Christian books about the things he saw in those 14 years of ministry, but he went humbly, and he said, I'm going to submit to the leaders and say, here's what's been happening. He remembered Ephesians 14 that says, you speak truth in love. He remembered Matthew verse, chapter 10, verse 16, where Jesus says, be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves he has walked us out in humility so that leads us to another question do we live lives of humility that result in power because when you see a person who's humble they have power if you think about the leaders in history that we think about and we hold dear and we talk about they had great humility in the midst of having power Pope Francis gave a TED Talk and he said this, he said, the more powerful you are, the more your actions will have an impact on people, the more responsible you are to act humbly. He said, through Christ-like humility and concrete love, power, the strongest person, becomes a service and a force for good. You see, the people in history we admire are the people who are humble, And through that humility, there was great power. The gospel does something else. It's absolutely amazing. It brings light and darkness. It brings light to dark places. All those injustices we talked about, all the places of sin, all the brokenness in our world. The gospel is there to bring the light to those places. Evil cannot overcome the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ overcomes every evil, every injustice, every brokenness in our world. That's why we have to be about bringing this gospel globally if we are Christ's people. That's why in verse 10 it talks about the poor, that it makes a real difference. So the question is, do we live lives that bring light into dark places? Do we live lives that bring light into dark places? Imagine with me, if every person in the world who called themselves a Christian lived a life of weakness so God could be made strong, Imagine with me, every person who called themselves a Christian lived a life of humility. And in that humility, it changed so much that it brought power. Imagine with me, everyone who called themselves a Christian who didn't pull back from dark places, but brought light to dark places and injustices and brokenness. Imagine what the world would look like if every single person Who called themselves a Christian did these things so here's what I want you to do in light of this message I want you to look at your week and I want you to carve out three appointments five minutes each three appointments five minutes each maybe you grab your coffee and you sit down and you just take five minutes three times this week everybody can do that right Three times, five minutes, no problem. And what I want you to do in the back of your bulletin, I, we laid it out. I want you to look at these things. First, I want you to see and think about strength and weakness. I want you to read that verse in 2 Corinthians that talks about that. So, in that five minutes, you read 2 Corinthians 12, 6 to 10. And then I just want you to think about it Am I living a life of weakness so God can be strong? And then the next appointment that you have, where you have five minutes, I want you to read John 13, 1 to 17. I want you to read what Jesus did in there. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, do I live a life of humility that God can use in powerful ways? And what would that look like in my life? And then I want you to take Luke 7, 11 to 17, in that five minutes with your coffee, and look at that. And then think, just think, how am I taking this gospel into dark places in this world? God placed me in this world for a reason. How am I going to bring the gospel there? And then you can even add a fourth appointment for five minutes. And I want you to wrestle with this question. Which one of these is the Holy Spirit directing me to take action on now? Is the Holy Spirit asking me to be weak? Is the Holy Spirit asking me to humble myself? Is the Holy Spirit asking me to take the gospel into dark places? Where should I focus this? And what's one thing I could do to go forward? in the power of the gospel. You see, as we do that, we're going to be brought into what God has for us. I have one final question for you, and then I am done. The question I want you to think through is this. As Christians, what would it look like if we truly live what we profess? Now, your first reaction, because you are human, is to look at that as a state question of judgment. Like, we haven't professed enough. What would it do if we... That's not what I'm getting at. I just want you to think about this a minute. As Christians, we profess that we can come before Jesus Christ broken, full of sin, full of shame, full of guilt... Total enemy to what God wants and all that is good. And if we come before Jesus Christ, he sets us free, forgives us of our sin, gives us a new life. What would happen if we live that out, that profession, instead of living out all the lies that we tell ourselves about how horrible we are and broken we are and how uh, shameful we are? What would happen if we really profess this gospel? that talked about love and mercy and transformation and grace. What would the world look like if that happened? If we believed what this said. Because what happens to us is we can have these pains in our life, these past experiences, these things that affected us, and we kind of cover them up and we go to church and we kind of live a Christian life externally but we don't let it get internal. We hold back and we kind of have this pseudo form of Christianity and that's what the Christianity, that everyone pokes fun at and looks at and says, look at all the hypocrites. But what if instead of living it just as externally, we let it go deep into the pain? We let it go deep into the brokenness. We let it go deep into the things that drive our decisions and our behaviors and we allow God by his spirit to come in and transform our lives. What would it look like if every Christian in the world did that and lived what we profess, that Jesus Christ came to earth, died on the cross to set us free, that we would live in that freedom and that we would change the world by bringing that gospel to dark places. Can you imagine? That takes something beyond our strength. That takes an act of God. And let's pray for that right now as we close. Jesus, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that you save us from the sin and the brokenness and the shame and you radically transform our lives for your glory. But now I ask, if there's things that we are running to as pseudo-fake false gospels, If we're adding anything to Jesus, will you convict us of that? God, I ask that you would do a move in your church and you would take this gospel message that's been perhaps watered down, that has been kind of fallen to the wayside, that's been hard to have stand out in the midst of all other ideas and thoughts. Will you let it come and stand firm out front and center of our lives? And would you, by the power of the Spirit, let it be something that's not just this external thing that we do called church, but would you let it grow internally and move internally into our lives to bring healing and restoration and transformation that we could live as the people of Jesus in the world you've placed us. That we would be walking billboards of freedom and grace and mercy and transformation. God, that people would look at us and say, There is life. I don't want to any longer be in death. God, will you allow that to happen by the power of your Spirit? I thank you for this gift called the gospel. Let it go deep, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we worship.